Welcome again to uh, Shot and Shield. My name is Scott, your host. Uh, I am uh, very happy uh, to be with you uh, once again uh, to talk about colonial tabletop wargaming. And uh, I want to thank everybody very, very much for uh, for your support. Uh, it has been uh, really extraordinary watching uh, some of the numbers on um, on the, the analyst uh, site that I have. Uh, just seeing what what you're all into and what you're what you're watching, what you're checking out, maybe what you're watching again, and it's 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 very uh, it's it's very it's very nice, and I really do appreciate it. Like I said, I don't make any money on on this thing. I just do whatever whatever Anchor says to do to keep the site going or to get keep the podcast going, because in my area there's really nobody to talk to about this stuff, so I'm talking to you. <laughs> so again, I appreciate uh, you listening. Uh, I got some new, uh, I got some new followers on the Shot and Shield Twitter account. So at Shot and Shield is the Twitter account, and I just want to welcome uh, Simon Hill, Professor uh, Richard Head, PhD, who has this fantastic of Colonel Clink. I, let me tell you, his TV shows uh, is Hogan's Heroes. I absolutely <laughs> love it, uh, uh, much to the chagrin of my wife and everybody else in my in my life. They're like, Hogan's Heroes, what? And it's like, yeah, Hogan's Heroes, buddy. That's awesome. So anyway, so thank you, uh, Professor, for uh, for jumping on board uh, the Twitter the Twitter handle, the Twitter train, whatever it's called. Uh, also, uh, Atheling, uh, Stephen is Painting, Rob Deacon, uh, Michael James Smith, uh, Peter Malloy, Ben Cowan, Bob Lollard, and uh, just uh, uh, thank you all very much uh, for joining the uh, for joining the Twitter feed, as I should say, the Twitter feed. Uh, a couple of uh, I call them housekeeping uh, things to talk about uh, today. Uh, we're going to be well, actually, I'm going to be talking about uh, wargaming, the great game. One of the uh, one of your favorite episodes people have listened. Uh, to or or commented on, lo- watched or li- you know whatever uh, has been wargaming the Crimean War uh, episode of Shot and Shield podcast it is the most popular episode, and I'm not sure I you know it's funny because if somebody could DM me or uh, on the Twitter or make a Twitter comment about it or email me at uh, shot and shield at uh, gmail.com or maybe comment on the YouTube page Shot and Shield. Uh, just uh, maybe why they uh, why you like that episode um, the most is it the, because it's it's a longer episode because I think it's one of my longest episodes is it because the subject matter is it because the layout in other words it because it's all mixed up I'm not sure you know and I just kind of want to get some feedback so if you have a chance to give me some feedback uh, you could do it at any of those also here at Anchor. You can go on and you can actually make a, a, an audio comment. So if you have your you have your cell phone, you go to Anchor and you hit record and you can actually send me a question or a comment or anything. And I'll play them, even if it's, uh, hey, Scott, I hate your guts. It's like, OK, I'll play it. <laughs> I don't mind. But anyway, if you could just let me know. Uh, so today I thought I would uh, do another version of Wargaming The. That's what I call them, Wargaming The Episodes. Today, Wargaming, the great game. And um, is I want to talk about scenario building with the great game. I want to do a watch along with uh, the movie Kim from 1950, Errol Flynn, Dean Stockwell. And I want to do a product review of the 
new Tiger miniatures, their new their new offering of uh, Central Asia and Colonial Russians. I saw some pictures. I won't go into it because I want you to listen to the full show, but I'm liking it. I'm liking it. And then um, also I have uh, some email questions that uh, you've sent me at uh, the shot and shield at gmail.com. Without further ado, let's do this. So in today's episode, Wargaming the Great Game, right here on Shot and Shield, uh, I want to cover or kind of go over kind of my mentality when it comes to scenario building. Because there's two types of scenario that I think work very well in any great game conflict. One is a pulp game. The other one is a skirmish game. So between those two, I think those may work better uh, when uh, or if you're developing a great game or using a great game sort of uh, concept or scenario. Uh, I don't think outside of a few maybe imagination type battles, I don't know if you can really put together a big historical battle. Uh, that features uh, the great game. I, you know, I, we could talk about the Crimean War a little bit more like we have in the past because that obviously was part of the great game. But if you're doing the great game in Central Asia, for instance, like I, like I do, like that's my, that's my like theater of operation, uh, theater of gaming. If you're in India, Afghanistan, anywhere else in Central Asia, West China, Persia, you're in that area right there. There's really not uh, sort of this Russia versus British big conflict. So having a big scale, a big monster scale game is not something I, I think really lends itself to the flavor of that sort of great game scenario. The pulp action, the pulp uh, part of it, or a skirmish part of it, absolutely. So unless you're going to be busting out a very, very large imaginational type game, then maybe the pulp or the skirmish is is the way to go. Now, before we get into the pulp and skirmish level of it, let's talk about the imagination games. If you want to have, and I'm not saying I haven't played this game before, if you want to have the British versus the Russians in a great game sort of conflict, then obviously, because it's an imagination game, you can make that happen. There's nothing that says you can't do that, which is the glory of tabletop wargaming. You can do anything. I have uh, I have people email me or comment uh, or ask a question uh, why I don't play like Warhammer or uh, Gaslands or Zombies or anything like that. I just, this just doesn't do it for me. That's the reason why, but... You know, it's not like you have to do anything historical with somebody for something from Badlands or historical with something with goblins or halflings or anything like that. So I think that when you're doing a historical game and you're basing every uh, your your figures, you're basing your knowledge and everything on historical fact. If you want to do a British versus uh, Br- uh, British versus Russian game 
I think obviously it's, I'm not going to say it's not possible. It's absolutely possible, but it's, it is going to be in an, an imagination sense. Now, where would you have a game like that? I mean, not, I mean, I don't mean like, you know, at a convention or something. I mean, like where, what kind of field would you, would you look at that? Well, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a few uh, that we can think of. One of them is going to be in Afghanistan. So uh, being able to say, hey, look, you know, we're going to have some mountains and some hills and some valleys and some peaks. And, you know, and there's going to be a lot of places for people to hide and, and a, lot of, a lot of cover. You know, uh, I got a big warring faction, a big town or big crossroads somewhere where uh, these two armies would meet if Russia was going to really travel into Afghanistan and into India, you know, what kind of uh, scenario can be- you build out of that? If you're if you're playing if you're playing the British, then the scenario lends itself to bringing in some other forces to Gurkhas, bringing in uh, Mysores, you know, and bringing them up into Af- uh, Afghan. Uh, if you're or in the Afghanis themselves, uh, Baluchistan, uh, Baluchistanis, uh, Herats, you know that. That could be all part of that. If you are uh, the, the the Russian player, who do you have to pull from? What kind of ally can you add to help you? You could add the Persians because the Persians could go either way. You could add the Herats. Herats could go either way. You could add the Afghans. They could go either way. Uh, you could bring in the Kashgaris and, and the Kievans and the, the Turkmeni because once they got quelled and they... A lot of them kind of came over to the Russian side. So it's not like so you can have this monster battle of all these different flavors of units in this big, big battle. You know, if that's what if that's what you're really into. As for me, I'm more into a skirmish level. So the skirmish level is going to be a little different. I might have. Okay, so let's talk skirmish for a second. If I am putting together a great game skirmish and I want some British against some Russians, I might take one unit, one field force, one small field force of a British and add them to a greater field force. So let's say I might have, uh, I might have a Highlander unit, 12 figures uh, with the, uh, the men who would be Kings rule set I use. I'll have these 12 figures of Highlanders and I'll add them to, let's say, a 24 or 36 point field force of Harats. And the the British would be in support of the Harats against the Russian incursion and the Russians would be on their own. Or if I were the Russians and I was trying to make an incursion in Afghanistan, let's say against the Afghani, uh, 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 against Afghanistan regulars, I might go ahead and have maybe a rocket unit or a camel unit or a Cossack unit added to a Turkmenistan unit or Herat unit or a Persian unit or a couple of, of tribal Afghani units that will take on the uh, Afghan regulars with no help from the British. So there are these, all these different scenarios. The other thing you want to think about when you're doing a skirmish level scenario, depending on the rule set you're using, whether you, if you're using the sword and the flame, that's great. Um, 
it's been a long time since I played Sword in the Flame. I think back in like early 80s when I played the Sword, uh, Sword in the Flame, uh, mid 80s. And now I play the men who would be kings. So as long as if you're if you're developing your scenario or your skirmish, the one thing you do want to have outside of an even even field forces. And we use that through the point system of the men who would be king. Yeah, everybody gets 24 points. They can pick who they want, blah, blah, blah. But then have a clear you want to have a clear goal in mind. In other words, so what would be victorious? What would what would side A, um, what would define victory for side A? What would define victory for side B? And then it, it might be better. Now, when it comes to the pulp action, this is where you can get a little more, there's going to be less battle battle and more intrigue intrigue. You see what I'm saying? So now you're looking at spying. You know, uh, some of, if you have, a, if you have a, the wherewithal, if you have, the material to put together a mountain town. You could have a few units here and there, but now it's trying to find the secret plans. Where are the secret plans inside this town? And then you could have all kinds of different uh, different levels because now you're playing more of a D&D, uh, a Dungeons and Dragons sort of historical Dungeons and Dragons type mental game, war game, uh, in, in the pulp era, but when you're putting your pulp scenario together, it's going to be more about what goal is in mind rather than just beat up the next guy. You know, do they have to find, is it going to be one of those scenarios where almost like an Indiana Jones temple of doom type of deal where we got to find this, the, the Ark of the covenant. So the, so the Russians don't get it, or before the Russians get it, take over the whole world, or is it going to be? Oh, I got these secret plans of the past to the, uh, you know, these these maps to the Khyber Pass. I can't let the Russians have them, or I can't let the the British part with them, or got to get the get them from the British. Whatever your good guy bad guy scenario, be, if there is one. And so that's so they're just throwing out some ideas to you regarding. A scenario building when it comes to pulp action regarding skirmish action, uh, action, or regarding uh, imagination type monster monster games, uh, dealing with or in having that great game flavor uh, in colonialism. So I hope this has been. Uh, I hope I hope that it's been. Uh, informative. I hope I've maybe given you or sparked some ideas. Uh, if not, then <laughs> sorry. <laughs> All right, next. It is well known that Disraeli considers the Rothschilds to be one of the foremost families in all of Christendom. Therefore, the Rothschilds will probably approve of this message. They would want you to know that if you haven't heard of Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me be clear. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. The Rothschilds would also want you to know that Anchor 
will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, many more. There's no minimum listenership. You advertise it as you want. You can play music or not. Speak about the things that are close to your heart. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. The Rothschilds and Disraeli would say, download the free Anchor app and go to anchor.fm to get started. And Disraeli would probably also say, God save the queen. So in this part of the show uh, of Shot and Shield, I like to uh, do like a quick, maybe sort of like a, a review of some miniatures that I see coming up on the horizon or that are already here. Uh, my online buddy, Jeff Coe, um, I'm not sure if he's re- if he's involved with uh, Tiger Minute or not, but let me say that he's put up some uh, pictures online of the new Russians, Tiger Miniatures that uh are coming up uh the sculpts and everything and let me tell you something this is i'm I'm loving this so the first one that uh, i see is a is a general on top of a horse which uh is going to be one that i'm going to be grabbing as soon as they're available (laughs) the next it looks like a command unit uh sergeant type command unit um uh, the bugler um, and then a sergeant and a drummer and the sculpts are nice. They're very, very nice. They have the great, the perfect headset, uh, or headset, the, uh, the headdress. So the Kepi with the, uh, the Havelock in the back and the, the parade shirt. I call it the parade shirt, which is just the big white kind of blouse looking, uh, deal. Um, and the, uh, the skate, the face sculpts are very nice on these and then there's it looks like there's another unit where it's just the unit of uh, soldiers again very nice uh a little a couple of them look a little chunky um but that could be just the picture again i don't have them in front of me but the face is really nice the same with the havelock the gun is very well sculpted let's see and then you have another one it looks like and this is mm, if this is a this is nice. It's a it's a it's a horseman. Could be a hussar. Uh, sword in the air. Havelock. Uh, regular regular uh, a hat. Regular cap, like an army cap that has the havelock. So that's really nice. So it's not a cap. It's just a regular cap, like if you were uh, a Cossack cap. Um, and again, the horse is very very nice. Uh, and the sculpt is really good. So that's that's really encouraging to see. And then it looks like um, there are the, the last series that I see of the Russians uh, is uh, sculpts uh, for the gun emplacement. So they got, this is really nice, a nice figure of a, um, of a Russian soldier with a eyepiece couple of other Russians, uh, one point and one having himself a ramrod and then a couple guys kind of look like they're holding something or wheeling something. So, uh, and nice sculpts, not bad at all. And I would have to say in relation, in conjunction with the other sculpts that are out there, because there's two other companies I know of that have, um, that have the Russians with the Havelock for uh, their colonialism in the Central Russia or Central Asia, and that is ti- um, not just Tiger Miniatures. I'm just talking about them now, but Ascari Miniatures um, does 
an okay job. They have some uh, some of their sculpts for the Russians are really, really good. And other ones are a little on the kind of iffy side. So uh, I, all my all my current Russians with the Havelock for Central Asia are from Ascari. So I have uh, a, another another set of something different from Irregular Miniatures. Now, Irregular Miniatures also has a set of uh, Russians with the Havelock. And I got to tell you, you know, if uh, I don't want to be like negative, but it's just not the, you know, if you're going to pay money for lead sculpts, you know, or white metal or whatever, you really want them to have a little more, a little more detail than a regular plastic sculpt. I really, I, I really believe that, you know, I mean, these are you're spending if you're spending 10 bucks on four figures or five figures you kind of want in my opinion you kind of want the sculpts to be a you know really really good or as good as possible um so you know when you so you're not covering up uh i'll say poor sculpting with or poor, poor tooling. It could be a tooling issue too. It might not be the sculpting at all, uh, but poor tooling with uh, the best paint job you got. Because if I have a great paint job, I'll spend a lot of time painting these guys. I want them to look fantastic, and the sculpt can take away from that sometimes. Because I have some figures, um, and I will say from uh, from Ascari, uh, some Central Asian figures from Ascari that are just uh, so. Mm. Just not there. They need a retooling because Ascari, their later work is so good. But uh, these Tiger miniatures that I see uh, online uh, of the of the looks like they're getting ready to do the molds, or they're or maybe they're already maybe they're already done. They're getting ready for sale. But this really really workmanlike quality, and I'm really excited about that. And there's going to be some figures I'm going to probably have to pick up. So <laughs> watch out. Now, in relation to that. There's also another set of tiger uh, miniatures that just came out for Central uh, Central Asia. I'm not sure if I talked about these on any one of my other episodes. So if I have, I apologize uh, for repeating myself. But uh, they also have a generic Sarbaz. Sarbazas. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. It was Sarbaz. Um, and the standing figures are really nice. The kneeling figures look a little big in relation to the the standing figures. But again, I don't have those yet. I'm going to get them. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be purchasing some. Uh, they have some Boko Haram, uh, militia, which uh, look really nice. And then some, uh, warriors crouching with the Telpec, which is the big furry kind of hat. Um, and that look good too. Now the, uh, the horsemen that they have, they have a mounted warrior in a Telpec, which is like I said, that's a big furry, uh, furry cap. Uh, he looks really good. The sculpt is nice. Um, and it looks like you can add whatever weapon you want. And then there's a hunter with a hawk, which looks really, really nice. The sculpt is nice. Another mounted warrior. I will say that uh, their horses are really good. The camels, on the other hand, are a little, a little underfed. <laughs> That's how I'll put it. The camels look a little underfed. So if you get the camel, you might have to add a little, uh, a little girth to them. 
but I could be wrong. Like I said, I don't have these in front of me. Um, but uh, the the Bactrian camel looks, like I said, looks just a little underfed. So, but that, like I said, that could be just the picture. And when I when I get them, because I'm going to get them, um, that could be. Uh, I will get on here and I will totally correct myself. But uh, not bad at all. Not a bad set. I like. Uh, I like. I like great detail in the figure, but also sometimes when you have the more detail in a figure carving wise in the sculpt, sometimes it gets a little more difficult to paint because then you can't really add any of your own flavor. The thing I really like about the generic Sarbaz, Sarbazes that uh, Tiger offers here is that the tunic that the Sarbaz uh, soldier wears um, is kind of clean. And so it's not like I, if I want to make it striped or if I want to, if I want to give it a pattern, I can without having a lot of, uh, a ton of folds getting in my way and make it more difficult to, uh, to paint. So that's really nice. So, uh, I get my, um, my tiger, uh, miniatures, uh, from, uh, recreationalconflict.com, uh, a good site for, for that right there. Um, and then, um, like I said, I, so when, when they come up with the, uh, when the, um, Russians, uh, with the Havelocks get on, uh, recreational, then I'll go ahead and, uh, I'll go ahead and start purchasing them. And like I said, if, if I, when, when I get them, if I see that, uh, I need to make a correction, I will definitely get on here and make a correction. But so far, just what I'm seeing, um, in the pictures that I've seen online, uh, these look so nice. They do. And it's really going to add the flavor, I think, to uh, to your Central Asian uh, game, your great game game. Uh, because these figures right here, not just the Russian ones, but also the Sarbaz and the uh, Central Asian version of the of the Sarbaz and the uh, and the figures with the Telpex and the and the Bukharans. Uh, that really adds, I think, to the flavor of a great game scenario built uh war game tabletop war game so nice job uh from our friends over at tiger i did not get paid for this i did not get paid for the love i just uh i'm telling you that's what i think so anyway so thank you okay let's see what's next Thank you. 
Now here at Shot and Shield, what I like to do is I like to do these little watch-alongs every once in a while uh, just to kind of get a, a perspective of somewhat of what Hollywood may have thrown in into uh, some of the adventure episode, uh, adventure movies or episodes, episodes of some like serials or anything like that. But uh, what they, what kind of flavor they threw into their movies, uh, their adventure movies, regarding uh, some of the topics that we discuss here on Shot and Shield, such as the subject of this show uh, today is Wargaming, the great game. So uh, the movie I picked uh, for this watch-along is... The movie Kim, K-I-M, Kim, Errol Flynn, Dean Stockwell, Paul Lucas, Robert Douglas, uh, Thomas Gomez, Cecil Kellaway, Arnold Moss. I mean, just a, a host of fantastic actors and uh, actresses uh, for the movie Kim from 1950. Now, the uh, Errol Flynn plays the, I'm not going to say the lead because Dean Stockwell plays the lead. Uh, Kim O'Hara Jr. So it's sort of like this little kid that uh, that was a part of the English English uh, the British army, and then he got he got orphaned, and then he was brought up in the in India as a as a, a downcast uh, kid who a beggar, a little a little thief. But Errol Flynn played. Uh, Ma Mahub, Mabub, Mabubi, Mabub Ali. <laughs> it's uh, oh, sorry. Anyway, but uh, according to <clears throat> the plot, you're looking at uh, during the British Raj, the orphan of a British soldier poses as a Hindu, torn between to a Buddhist mystic, and aiding the English Secret Service at the time. So that was that's the little plot there, uh, and. Um, uh, Errol Flynn does really a really good job in supporting and a supporting role uh, in this uh, film. At least I I, I enjoy it uh, I enjoy it thoroughly, especially uh, later on in the movie, which we're going to uh, which I'll set up the scene for you in just a second. But uh, really, it's a, it's that tug of war between uh, the movie is about that tug tug of war between the the Russians and the British, and all part of the great game. And so the, you see in the first uh, first uh, almost three quarters of the movie, it's that, hey, we got to watch out for these guys. These Russians are, are going to come in and they're going to take over India. You know, we all know that that wasn't really probably realistic nowadays. But at the time, at the time, you see the reports, you see the history. Uh, they thought a big deal about that. So anyway, so the movie is a uh, Kim from 1950, Errol Flynn, Dean Stockwell. Now I'm going to uh, take us to uh, almost almost the end of the movie, actually, at uh, one hour and 28 minutes into the movie. Uh, Errol Flynn uh, has just had his meeting with, uh, with the, the guy who's in charge of the English C uh, Secret Service, and now he's off to find out where Kim went to with his, uh, with his Hindu priest. So that's what the episode is now. So once again, it's 128 one hour and 28 minutes into the movie. So if you have the movie, um, you want to pull it up, then you can watch and, uh, and, and listen, listen into uh, the commentary here. Excuse me while I scratch my head here. So anyway, so here we go. On the count of five. One, two, three, four, five. All right. So they're just leaving... 
They're just leaving uh, the meeting, and Errol Flynn is now on his horse and walk, uh, uh, trotting through the, uh, uh, the Afghan sort of, the Afghan uh, zone, the Khyber Pass. And I have to tell you, now he, right now he's just looking for a sign of where uh, Kim and this priest are. Uh, he finds a little fire here, and I want to make a note about his his look, his dress. Uh, the dress is uh, from from all uh, that I've been able to read is almost like a Baluchistan uh, garb. So white headdress with uh, a red a red crown, blue blue outfit with a red um, a red sort of bandana around your waist. Um, and, uh, and his nickname is red. So there you go. So now he sees that Kim is, is helping a couple of Russians, a couple of guys, a couple of guys just done up as, as these, they look like, they almost look like fur traders from, uh, <laughs> from like challenge of the Yukon. The other, the other thing you want to make note and as you're watching this movie is look at the gun that uh, the Arrow Flint is carrying. It is a, um, it's a Giselle. Nice. It's a nice, nice little detail there. And now the, 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 the Russians, Kim and the, the priest are, they walk, they, they kind of, they're, they're walking their mules by this, uh, <laughs> This, uh, this like trader of goat milk, which is going to end up being Errol Flynn. And now they're arguing. That's great. I don't know if you've ever spent any time in India. I, I have not. I've, I've not traveled, uh, like, uh, a lot of, of, a lot of you have. But, uh, the arguments in the, uh, marketplace earlier in the movie and right here is pretty funny <laughs> so now now Kim realizes who it is so he's gonna go and and find out what the deal is it's not this is not a big action sequence but the 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 idea of this part of the segment really is to really get the feel and now they're kind of arguing a little bit about what kind of goat milk they're going to get. So whatever. But uh, the scene is fantastic. Just from the aspect of the visual, the visual being the, the rocks of Afghan. And then you look off and you see the Himalayas. Um, and now they're going to argue a little bit about <laughs> why Kim's out here. Because you know, got to find out what's going on with the uh, with the Russians. See now, if you were if you were playing a pulp game right now, if you're still watching this, just watch the uh, watch the action. Playing a pulp game right now, uh, I gotta tell you, this this is this would be a great little pulp action game. 
I don't know about a big battle game, but a pulp game, not too bad. So now they're now he's figuring out uh figuring out figuring out what the Russians want, which is a way into the Khyber Pass so they can take over India. And then later it turns into a gun battle. So I'm gonna go ahead and end it here. Uh it's it it's not as an exciting monster scene as we watched the past. We've watched the Charge of Light Brigade, we've watched uh we watched the uh, uh fifty five days of Peking where where they've where Charlton Heston has taken uh, taken his troops to get a bunch of Chinese off a wall. This isn't one of those type of uh, of movies. There's not a big big battle sequence. There's a few skirmishes here and there, but not a big battle sequence. But it this acts a bit more of a feel for the idea and the and the uh, essence of the great game than let's say a big battle. So anyway, so the movie's Kim. If you haven't seen it, please do. It's really it's really a fine movie. Uh, it is uh, definitely an adventure. Errol Flynn, one of his last really great performances, in my opinion. You can comment also about uh, this movie. If you have any comments, you can always go to the Twitter at Shot and Shield and throw some comments down uh, under the episode that, uh, that uh, I'm going to be putting up there. Uh, on uh, Twitter. So always, always feel free to do that. You can always comment. And if you don't agree with me, that's fine. That's absolutely fantastic. I'm not going to, I'm not one of those guys that's like, you don't agree with me. I'm going to like block you or something. It doesn't work like that. But, but uh, once again, another, another watch along right here on Shot and Shield. Okay, so lastly on uh, today's program, uh, which is featuring uh, Wargaming the Great Game, um, I have a few email questions uh, that uh, I wanted to read. Uh, some of them, you know what, I got to tell you, these are the questions I have. Uh, the uh, some They're not, oh, all of them are pertaining to the great game, but uh, I, I got one that is. Uh, this one is from Carl in Washington State. And this comes to us from email. So it's a, if you want to email a question in here, you could do it online at, uh, at Shot and Shield on the Twitter. Or you can go to your email, shotandshield at gmail.com uh, to uh, throw a question in here. And I just answer for Scott. It's not like I'm, a, I'm not an expert on anything. It's just This is my opinion. So anyway, so Carl in Washington State, uh, here in the United States, uh, Scott, your podcast is not bad. It's getting better as you go along. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> he continues, uh, I've always wondered how my fellow war gamers decide on who is the bad guy and who is the good guy. 
I thought I'd get your view. How do you decide who's the bad guy and uh, in your games? Thank you and keep going. Thank you very much, Carl. Uh, thank you for the for I'm going to call it the the uh, podcast love. You know because it, you know. Uh, Two, two points on this, uh, and I'll get to the second one, which is more important. But the first one uh, regarding the podcast, I just, uh, I'm just trying to, you know, get more familiar with uh, the whole podcasting idea uh, coming from, uh, coming from a whole different, uh, coming from radio, which is about broadcasting and talking about things that are wide, a wide scope. And then coming in here and talking about something that's very uh, small, it's very minute, very, very kind of narrow cast has been a little difficult. So I've had, uh, it's def- definitely been some growing pain. So if you listen to the first show and you listen to this one, you might see a little bit difference. Maybe I'm a little more comfortable now than I was when uh, I first started this uh, little, little venture here. So on to the more important question. Uh, but again, I thank you for continuing to listen and thank you for letting me know that that's getting a little bit better. As far as who decides who the bad guy and good guy is, I, that's tough. That's tough because you don't want to, you don't, at least in my opinion, this is the, I, here, here's how I do it. I don't, I guess I don't really look at it as good guy, bad guy. I really don't. I look at it as what their goal is, what, what is, if I have a Russians against the, um, against the Turkmeni. Okay. The Russians, I'm not going to say the Russians are the bad guy. I don't think anybody's going in there. We could call them the bad guy. We can say they're being evil, but are they really, or are they just following the orders of the czar? And is the czar really evil? He's just trying to expand his territory, you know, and then that framework of that mindset back then in the 1800s, uh, you know, that if that's the mindset, are they really the bad guy? You know, I mean, they don't, they probably don't think they are. They probably think they're doing heroic uh, stuff for Mother Russia. Just like British probably thought they were doing a good thing, you know, uh, being involved in India the way they were. And, but if you're an Indian, you're like, uh, these guys are they're killing me right now. I hate this. And if you're a Turkmeni and you're looking at the Russians coming into your zone, you're like, well, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> so I guess it just depends on your outlook. So if I'm having, if I'm having a scenario, if I'm having a skirmish between my Russians and my Bukharans, you know, or my Persians and my Herats, am I going to say, okay, well, this is the bad guy and this is a good guy? No, everybody has conflicting opportunities or conflicting orders on what uh, what success is. So let's say, let's take, let me take this. I'm, I'll, I'll say this. I'm going to take the Persians and I'm going to take the Herats. They're close together in uh, the geographical line, right? The Persians want to expand their territory. So the Persians are listening to the Shah and the Shah is saying, go do this. And the, and the Persians are like, let's go do this, guys. And so now they have to try to expand their territory to for for their populace for the good of their populace or for the good of their shah the harats they're saying hey who are these guys they can't be taking our land from us or disrupting our way of life well the persians have their 
their version of victory is to take over. Herat's version of victory is to not let anybody take over. So when I'm creating a scenario or when I'm talking about um, the the gra- the ground game or the, the tabletop war game, I don't really define who the bad guy and who the good guy is. Even if I'm playing a movie style game. Now, if this is a pulp game, if I'm pulping it, then yeah, there's going to be the evil spy or the, you know, the, <laughs> the evil warlord. You know, I might have an evil warlord when it comes to a skirmish game, but then that's going to be a pulp kind of movie game. So it really def- depends on, I think, in my opinion, how you define what the goal is uh, and what, what victory looks like from either side that you have on the game table. And you might have, maybe, maybe you have three, uh, three scenarios of victory. Maybe you have four or five scenarios of victory. Maybe you have like uh, the battle of the five armies. And you have uh, you know, <laughs> the dwarves and the hobbits and the, and the elves and the, the orcs. No, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, the Russians and the, and the, the Herats and the, and the Persians and the British and the Indians. And everybody's kind of converged on the same location. You don't know who's going to be allied to the next one because they don't, you don't know what the scenario, uh, the, how the victory is going to be defined. So anyway, so that's 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 my thought process. If that does that help you, I hope so, Carl. But th- thank you very much for the uh, for the email. Uh, this uh, email is from Neil from Sydney, Australia. By the way, thank you very much because I look at the analytics in uh, the analytics in in Anchor and the the big analytic thing, and it shows all these different uh, folks, all, all you different uh, folks listening in different countries, uh, France and Finland, and Austria, and Poland, and New Zealand, and Australia, uh, United Kingdom, Iceland, Brazil. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? It's just weird. It just blows my mind because in the past, when I was in, like I said, when I was in radio, it was like, man, if I got this one neighborhood listening to me, I was excited about it. But now people are listening around the world. So it's just like, what? What? Uh, That's amazing. (laughs) But anyway, so Neil from uh, Sydney, Australia. Have you ever used Sharps practice rules for your game? Also, have you ever traveled outside of the U.S. Uh, for gaming conventions? We have had great ones here in Sydney. Hopefully, after the pandemic, we'll get uh, uh, they will pick up again. Uh, and then he goes on to write about how he's liking the podcast and he kind of shares the views of uh, Carl also that's get a little bit better as I continue on. So thank you very much, Neil. Uh, Neil, I've never used practice uh, ever. Uh, I've used when I've gamed. Here's the rule sets I've gamed. I've gamed. My favorite uh, right now is the men who would be kings. Uh, uh, Daniel Mercy is it Daniel Mercy. Mercy is his last name. A great set of game, uh, a game set uh, for colonial uh, war gaming. Very easy, very very chill. Um, uh, so that's my favorite game at the moment. I've played uh, the Sword and the Flame, which I I was always looking at it um, as a uh, as a little more complicated, uh, and at the time it was a little more complicated because it seems like there was always something going on, uh, always something, some kind of quirk in the rule. 
But that was last time I played that was like 1985, 86 or something like that. Uh, outside of the Colonial War gaming, I've played Chain of Command. I've played a rule set called Angriff. Uh, and uh, a Civil War uh, set by uh, who a buddy of mine called, uh, named Steve Barona who uh, I, I have not heard from forever. Unfortunately, I think he might have passed away. Uh, great guy and a great sharp mind when it came to wargaming. His painting was ex- it was amazing. Just a, a, a really great guy uh, that I knew. And he had a home set um, of rules for Civil War. So those are only the few, the few games that I've played. Uh, a few game rule, uh, rule sets that I've played um, when it's come to wargaming. Now, I've played a, a Dungeons & Dragons back in the day. Uh, I played the Call of Cthulhu uh, back in the day. This is back in the 80s. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I've played. Um, yeah, that's about it. So there you go. So I hope that answers your question. As far as conventions, I don't really, I you know, I uh, I. St- Stop going to conventions back in the 80s because I had a really bad, um, I had a really bad, um, had a bad time at one. And whenever I have a bad time at something, I kind of just go, and I walk away from it (laughs) and I never go back to it. Uh, But that's been, that was a long, long time ago. Like I said, it was late 80s. Uh, So if the... uh, here where I am, I'm, I am in Florida right now and in Orlando and in Miami, sometimes they have a gaming convention. So after the pandemic, once the pandemic eases up, uh, I think that uh, I might end up going to uh, a couple of those conventions. Now, as far as uh, traveling outside of uh, traveling outside of uh, the of America, even outside of Florida, I, I'm I'm up for it. I really am. I, I would love to visit England. I'd love to visit Spain. Uh, my wife and I have talked about that uh, several, several times. She said, wouldn't it be nice to be able to uh, travel up to England and see your buddies up there who, uh, who game you've never met, but you see them, you, you talk to them online all the time. It's like, yeah, that would be fantastic. But then we also, uh, uh, Sherry and I, my wife, uh, we've talked about um, even maybe moving to a different country. Not because I, I, we hate the United States. We don't. It's just, uh, it's very expensive and, um, get bent sometimes isn't, uh, isn't what you should, if that makes sense. So, but, uh, we've looked at like Costa Rica, we've looked at, um, Portugal, uh, New Zealand, Australia. And so a lot of these places, um, very intriguing, especially later years of our lives where it's like, ah, you're easing down, um, I'm still working, but uh, retirement's coming up. So, you know, I don't know. It'd be nice to be able to visit some other countries, see some other cultures, especially when you have a multicultural mind. You know, so you have a you have a multicultural mindset. It's really nice to be able to um, see other 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 worlds. You know, like I, I would i would have loved to have been an archaeologist and gone to egypt and gone to petra and, and go through the middle east but then again you know here in america you say you're an american you're in the middle east you're kidnapped you know i mean that's 
So I don't know if I'm really up for that. I don't know if that's a good thing. When I was younger, uh, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to, when, uh, really younger, before I met my wife, uh, a couple of a couple of buddies and I, we were thinking about going to uh, Prague and just, uh, and just living a bohemian lifestyle and being all artistic and stuff. But uh, that was back in 1980 something, you know, so it was back when I'm like a teenager going in my 20s. And I had dreams. I had dreams. <laughs> now they're all gone. So, <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, you know, Neil, let me tell you something. It'd be great to travel. I'm sure that, um, and I see this online a lot. A lot of my, uh, a lot of my online pals, they do a lot of traveling, and so that's really nice. I mean, I, I encourage, I encourage them, and I support them, and I think that's fantastic. If you're able to do it, do it. I do. I mean that. So anyway, so it was uh, that from Neil, Carl. I did get an email from an anonymous person who didn't put his name down. I think it, uh, anyway, but the question was, uh, the question was regarding, and I'm doing this off the top of my head because I didn't write it down. Uh, the question was regarding uh, The Great Game by Peter Hopkirk. Now, The Great Game uh, from Peter Hopkirk's a book. It's very thick. It's like 700 something pages. Uh, and once it wanted to know if I've read it. I have read it. Um, I own it. It's a really, really, really good book. The only thing I will say about the book is that it really does. It does a great job setting up the great game, but it gives you some information that's. I yeah. Is it really necessary to learn about, you know, Central Asia from the time of the Mongols? I don't know. I don't know if that was necessary, but it was still a good read. <laughs> so, so I'm not saying that he did a bad job at all. It was a great, it was a great cons, great, uh, great look at the great game in its history. Uh, when it gets into the, when it gets out of colonialism, it goes into modern times. I kind of, okay. And I'm done. I, I don't, I don't care. I, I just, you know, I lived it. I, I, you know, I saw Russia go in uh, in the 70s, uh, late 70s uh, and early 80s. And I, I watched the Americans go in, obviously. And I'm like, OK, all right. All right. Cool. All right. I'm good. Um, because it's it's the current stuff isn't as interesting to me as the past. If weird, huh? So anyway, so uh, but Peter Hopkirk, great book. There's a couple other ones that uh, I want to get from him. There's a Silk Road uh, one. Is it Foreign Devils on the Silk Road or something like that? I want to get that. That uh, that intrigues me. I would like to uh, like to read that as well. So anyway, so that's um, so that's the email. So like I said, if you want to email me, you can. Shot and Shield at um, Shot and Shield at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on the on the Twitter account at Shot and Shield. Please uh, take a moment and check out uh, check out uh, the YouTube page. Shot and Shield is the handle. I'll I'll be sharing it because I have another episode of of Ramstama and the Cameliers, so I'll have that going up on YouTube uh, as well as uh, that's also going to be part of uh, a bonus piece for uh, this uh, program uh, today. Is uh, the next episode of Ramstammer as he gets back to Tashkent. So there you go. Uh, I appreciate uh, you listening today. I hope everybody ha- is being safe. 
And uh, all I have to say is thank you. Catch you next time. present the Silk Road Adventures of Ram Stammer. To recap, in the last episodes, the Baron fell ill and was unable to continue, leaving General Tompkin, now in charge of the army, as Ram Stammer and his cameleers make their way back to Tashkent with a prisoner. Sergeant Kovalev, Ram Stammer called out. Ram Stammer and his cameleers were nearing Tashkent after a very dusty ride. The dome of the Great Mosque started to appear near the horizon. Sergeant Kovalev kicked his camel into a trot and pulled up next to Ram Stammer at the head of the column. Yes, sir, the sergeant replied to his major. So, sergeant, has our guest been at all talkative while you've been watching him? No, sir. He's been very quiet, the sergeant responded. Well, Kovalev, I will be making a note in your record that you've done a great job watching our prisoner. You deserve that commendation. Thank you, sir. It has been my pleasure to serve, Sergeant Kovalev said. Unbeknownst, Unbeknownst, to Major Ramstammer, Sergeant Kovalev works for the Army's political advisor, Andrade, as a spy in the Camelliers. Barakan Madrasa! Yukeb exclaimed. The Great Mosque is now in sight. The Great Mosque's blue and yellow spires and domes appear larger and larger as the column of cameleers got closer to Tashkent. Tashkent, the current home of the Russian army, as well as the center of intrigue and espionage. Ramstammer felt a sense of relief that he was able to get his cameleers back to headquarters without any casualties. Every one of his troopers got back safe. Headquarters was just outside the city. A series of dusty tents in perfect lines, one next to each other. The guard of the watch snapped to attention and his cameleer column entered the camp. The duty officer of the day appeared from his tent a friend of Ramstammer by the name of Major Lyonov. Lyonov was big and husky with a long red beard. I see a wolf! Lyonov exclaimed. Ramstammer grinned with delight and jumped off his camel to embrace his longtime friend. Lion! Wolf! 
glad you've returned safe. Thank you. Good to see you, Lion. Lionov looked at the Cameleers. Soldiers of the Tsar, welcome back. And Ramstammer looked back at Sergeant Peter, smiling. Peter dismissed the men. They have tomorrow off. No drills. Corral our camels. And you and Kovalev, please take our prisoner to the guardhouse. And Sergeant Peter, I will be with you and you can tonight at mess. Ramstammer turned back to Lyonov. Lion. I go to make my report to the Baron, and then you and I shall mess later. Say you will. Lionov replied, Ah, we will. But you'll not make a report to the Baron. He's been struck down. Ramstammer reacted, his face aghast. The Baron? Struck down? Lionov continued, Septicemia. He may not pull through. You have to make your report to General Tompkin. He's in charge until word comes back from Moscow. Ramstammer looked thoughtful. And he said, General Tompkin, he's a, he's a good man. He'll be glad to hear what I found. You've been listening to The Silk Road Adventures of Ramstammer, a Shot and Shield production. This has been a production of the Experience 13 Podcast Network. 13! Your electricity.